Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. And good afternoon, everybody, or good evening, or good morning, wherever you are. I hope everybody's doing well today. And uh, we got a great show for you today. Um, a, a wonderful author who is a producer and she's done all kinds of stuff and she's a screenwriter and and she also just finished having her first book signing for her new book <laughs> and it was it was a lot of fun she got to be the uh prima donna the the, the yeah. gal of the hour her name is <laughs> her name is mo machadi and she's with us today she is in we're we're hoping that uh we're not gonna have a thunderstorm go over top of you and uh because you're in new york and uh and the weather you know you'd think it's august it's supposed to be sunny but not we're in such a we've had such a wet summer but we're also in what we call hurricane season so we always get the aftermath of whatever the south is having when it moves upward so we kind of are at the mercy of of that as well so it's fingers crossed on the day if the sun is going to stay shining or not. So right now it's, it's no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you had a bit of a brownout, so I'm glad, glad we made it and we're doing, we're doing well. So yes. um, tell me about the, um, I, you know, there are lots and lots of us that are listening to this that mm -hmm. have never had the opportunity to, uh, write a book and then go and have a uh, uh, book signing and and talk to people about the work that you're doing and what is that like to be the center of attention like that? Oh, it's weird. Um, it's not weird and in a bad way, but it what's interesting about it is that, and I don't know if any other author feels this way. I can only speak from my own experience, but writing a book when you, once you put that out there. And you're like, you know, this is my baby and I worked really hard for it. And then people start to review it um, and either good or bad. And I am very, very lucky that I've had from middle of the road to very, very good um, reviews on it, which is great um, so far. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. But you get there and you're like, wait, people are actually going to read it and then have something to say about it? Because that never really crosses your mind when you're writing. Um, I mean, I'm sure it does from time to time, but when you're done and you just think, okay, now it's out there. Um, and then when people enjoy it, you, it's a very interesting feeling. It's a very positive feeling, but it is also very much like I did that. Like I, my words touch somebody in a, a certain way, or, you know, they might talk to somebody about, you know, how they like the story or, and then your work kind of moves on through other people, which I think is a, in and itself a legacy, um, mm -hmm. whether or not it's a huge publishing scale or it's a smaller indie press like mine, um, which still does a lot of movement. But I think, especially with the book signing, it was like, not only do people like it, but they're also interested in me. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> now I got to talk about myself um in relation to the work and that is very very fun but i will say like by the end of it it is very it's a little bit draining because you're on that whole time and yep. you want to you want to uh 
make sure that you're always putting your best foot forward and giving the best information um, and the best representation of yourself. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a little bit emotionally and mentally draining. Um, but at the end of the day, like you come home and you're like, okay, like what's next? Like what's the next mountain? Because there's always another book coming out or yeah. there's always going to be another interview to do or another place to, to kind of talk about that. And you live in that world until your next work comes out. And then you're talking about something different, still obviously yourself, but, um, but it is, it's a very surreal feeling and it's a very busy feeling. Like it's not um, stagnant at all. It's very high movement. Even as I sit in this chair, I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something. <laughs> <laughs> you I, are doing something. I put aside or forgotten about. Um, but no, it's, it's a good feeling. It's very busy, but it's very good busy. Did you ever, did you ever stop and think? Like when you're in your car on the way to the signing or the next signing that you're going to do or talking to your publisher or talking to people who've read the book, did you ever, did you ever stop to think, holy crap, I created this from nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most days, <laughs> most days I do. And it's, it's funny because you, you are always asked that question. Um, any author in a, in a book, um, especially in the horror genre, um, predominantly you'll get the question of like, how did you come up with a story like that? Or like, that's a really scary story. Like, did this happen to somebody that, you know, like my mother had asked me, like, did you read these stories in the newspaper? And then you like, you wrote a story, but I'm like, no, these are like stories that came out of my own head. And she, <laughs> and she has had the best response to that of anyone that has asked me that so far. And she went, why? <laughs> and I was and it was almost like, you know, I thought I was doing all the right things with my kids. Um, you know, it was like, where did I go wrong with her? But um <laughs> that's what it's, the it's, feeling I got personally was like Ooh. she's gotta be like, That child is dark. How did she get yeah, so dark? That girl ain't right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, I, to be fair, I, you know, when we talked about it, I said, you know, to be fair, it was a latchkey kid. Like you weren't home, you were working, you were going to night school in my early years for, you know, your degrees and things. And, and I was watching and reading scary stuff. And then here we are. Um, so she was like, oh, well, I was just wondering, cause they're, they're very, they're very interesting and they're very intricate. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse being, having to explain how you've gotten to the story um but it's fun it's fun getting to talk about how it came from a very embryonic idea to something that is now um a few people's favorite stories so that feels very very good well it's it's like my family does this kind of the same thing it's like what made you think of this to do <laughs> to do to do positive talk and to do what you do what 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 got into your head? Why did you do, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. It just, this is what I felt called to do. And so, and so talking to people like you is, I really enjoy yeah. understanding the process that, yes. that you've taken on to get, to go through all of this. And, and, uh, you know, it's like, I hate to say it's, it's kind of like giving birth. It is. Uh, 
So I not that I not, not that, that I'd have I mean, any idea. You're super familiar with the birthing process, I'm sure. <laughs> I I well, we would call me and most men an interested bystander. Yes. Because yes. we didn't we didn't get a chance. Did not have a chance yet to do those things, but it is. It's a very um it's a building process. It's a living, breathing thing that's always on your mind and you're always constructing how to do it better or, or even when it's a finished product, you kind of have to stand back and kind of let it be what it's going to be very much like a child, right? You, you're, you can only do so much rearing um, and then you kind of have to let it be what it's going to be in the world. And it's such an interesting um position to be in because you can not only be very hopeful about where it's going and how it's received, but also standing back and being like, if I could do this, there's all these other things that I can create as well. Um, so it's a very motivating piece too. Now you've, you've been doing what you would call horror. Um, and, uh, and, but also with a twist that it is a lot of suspense. Um, so you utilize that genre mm-hmm. to come up with the, the suspense that is part of that mm-hmm. and who's going to get it and who's not going to get it and how, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, if you didn't do horror, what other, would you do uh, uh, romance? Would you do? No, um, I'd probably do comedy. I uh, came from mostly horror and comedy writing from the screenwriting world, um, which I think on two different swings of the pendulum back and forth, they're very similar because you're looking for a reaction out of somebody um, in both comedy and horror, right? You know, you're looking to do something or pull something out of somebody. So I think I would do mostly comedy. Now, comedy literary writing, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's my strong suit as of yet. Only because my comedy writing is very physical and um, it's just, it's very quick. So I I don't really know where I would start with that, but I really, really enjoy it. Also science fiction. I, they kind of go hand in hand with the horror that I do, but um, I love science fiction stories and science fiction work. So I would love to get into doing more of that as well. So when you talk about science fiction, would you be talking about uh, space travel or? Um, yeah. Because there's lots of different ways. That you, you oh, know, yeah. You know what you I, can I, do? I, I know what we're going to have you do next. <laughs> we're we're going to have you do a horror science fiction comedy. There we go. Space balls. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now, something like that. Um, now, when you are writing a mm-hmm. um, screenplay mm-hmm. or you are uh, working, and I don't know if you've done this or not, but if you're working with um, like a Jay Leno or somebody and you're on the sure. comedy writing team, how does the comedy come to you? Is it is it like easy is it hard do you just kind of how do you how do you make up a joke i guess is what i'm asking oh geez um i think for me at least in my screenwriting um it's all about building the character first and it's you know going through and i think we might have touched on this the last time that i was here but it was 
um, building character bios and, and seeing what their likes and dislikes and their motivations are and, you know, kind of what makes them tick. And also in that, you're going to find out what they find funny and what they don't. And what is their pain points? And, uh, you know, is, is somebody using their pain points as the punchline? You know, are they the joke? Are, you know, and then you start to expand on the world after that. But I think building a joke is very, very hard. Like if it's not character based, that's why I find sketch comedy so fascinating because you have very a limited time to create a character, have somebody understand the character and then somebody understand why the joke from the character is funny. It's a really, really hard job. <laughs> it's a really, really hard job because it's not like we have time, like a sitcom to like grow with these characters or even monologue jokes. You have to be, monologue jokes are usually um, very prescient, very timely. Um, something that just happened this past week or something that has been kind of in the culture as like a phenomenon. Um, so that's also hard because some people might be like, oh, that's old news and that joke is no longer funny. Or this is a sensitive subject. We shouldn't be joking about it. <laughs> so it's it's a very fine line with it. It's such a comedy is such a scary. It's funny coming from horror. Comedy is such a scary <laughs> thing to do because it's horror. You know something is going to unsettle someone or someone is going to be scared. I mean, you don't know that for a fact, but there's a pretty good chance the material is going to make somebody feel something like that. But comedy is so scary in the joke can just fall absolutely flat like a lead balloon and there's no salvation for it you just got to move on boy and i tell you saturday night live is famous for yeah. that having yeah. having jokes that womp, they, womp. <laughs> that just that just fell on their face you know and um see i have a different kind of comedy and what mine is is more off the cuff mm -hmm. uh, I, I I can't plan anything. As a matter of fact, I was going to tell uh, you. You know, they had a hurricane in California. Mm -hmm. Imagine a hurricane in California, and and I had a friend. I still have a for hopefully I still have a friend. <laughs> same here in, <laughs> I got a lot in of San Diego, and uh, and I said, well, you, you, San Diego, yeah, and. And it's coming your way. And he said, well, it's not too bad here yet. And I said, well, you be careful because Hillary is going to be right on top of you. And he said, I'm not going to take that joke at all. So, um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was a kind of a funny joke, kind uh, of, but it, it didn't play very well for him. <laughs> it was like, brunch. Yeah. So I got to thinking, you know, they really should not call events like that after a famous person who's in politics or something yeah or anyone <laughs> yeah, i, th I think I, yeah, yeah i it's, agree and it's, what's hard is and it's kind of you know it's to it's to categorize them um i mean because it's like it's i feel like the names alphabetically we go down you know each alphabet letter but I feel like it's also to quell anxiety because no one wants to be like hurricane 146 is coming. Like, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a downer, but if we say like hurricane Ira or something, which was also a really, really terrible hurricane. Um, but I think that you, that is you know, kind of like, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if after like Irma or, 
or the one that you mentioned and and or several of the other ones if people stopped naming their children those names because mm -hmm. they were a catastrophic hurricane i bet yeah. you if you looked at the, at the statistics i'll bet you that people stopped naming their kids after that yeah or started to because <laughs> you know, that depends yeah. upon your your bent a little bit if you are if you're like in your case, you would do that just to see the look on people's faces. Yeah, <laughs> just for a minute. But like I said, I think that it is, it's, it's definitely something to um, not only quell the anxiety of, because we have, obviously we don't want to number hurricanes because that just makes us feel sad. But also it's it's something to focus your like anger and your ire at. We've, we've figuratized a a natural disaster by giving them a person's name so we can direct our emotions towards that person's name and you know kind of be able to unload or you know ex exercise whatever emotions we've got going on around it um because we'll always kind of speak as a to a person about that event as opposed to like hurricane 146 um exactly, exactly. i think it's interesting by, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this and you'd like to ask uh, Mo a question, you can uh, pop into the comments and you can ask her a question about about uh, uh, horror writing, about the book she's written, about uh, maybe being a cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapist and all of that stuff, because you, you, <laughs> you've done quite a lot. I have. I'm actually always refer to myself as the perpetual plate spinner. Um because there's always something to do. Um, my mother and I were actually just talking about this the other day. And she was like, you are a person that's like, what is that? I like that. I want to learn how to do that. And you just do it. And that's kind of how I've always been, especially with um, the therapy and, and looking into like mental health and marrying that with the genre that I work in. Um, that's been like really, really fun. Um, especially with the mental health industry being what it is. Hopefully we're, we have an uptick in accessibility for that. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, going, seeing that we were all part of a global uh, traumatic event <laughs> a couple years ago. Um, we have seen an uptick in accessibility, which is really important. So, yeah, if anybody has any questions about that, I am all here to help. We appreciate that because it is, um, you know, after, after COVID, Mm -hmm. and um uh, the pandemic things changed yeah you know, people's minds have changed they their thoughts about things have changed they're you know people that um you had no right to expect that they were going to pass away just suddenly died yes and and it was on the news every day and people were hiding into their covers of their house and and then you had the uh the um the mask thing and mm -hmm. the you had the uh it's it, all of that stuff could you as a horror writer come mm -hmm. up with something as horrific as that um probably not um <laughs> but i think that what's interesting about that in that same breath as you know working as someone who creates those type of like horrific or very like tense environments I think that we've spent so many decades watching films like that, that I definitely feel like it took the world a minute to say, oh, wait, this is actually 
a real thing that can happen to us. You know, watching like Contagion or, you know, whatever movies where like the virus gets out. and The Andromeda strain. Yeah, like absolutely. And I think it took us a while to to be really realistic about it um, and also to have the approaches that we had. Um, And even after we did and after we saw the devastation that was really sweeping through our entire world, um, we still had others and still to this day have others that, you know, aren't convinced that it was an actual, you know, thing that was really happening, which is unfortunate. But I think that our job as writers of a genre where people are supposed to be scared and it's almost frightened into preparedness, which is a, a funny term that a friend and I, and I were speaking about. It's, it's almost where I feel like we've kind of prepped everyone for that. Like, this is what we do and this is how we behave. And this is what happens before like the zombie outbreak. And this is how people behave. And this is what mass hysteria is. And Make sure you're doing this and make sure you're doing that. It was a very scary time. And I think even in our content that we were watching on TV, we talked about that with horror having like that uptick in viewership, but also people really yearning for like sitcoms and documentaries about birds, like anything that was like lighthearted like i will tell you i watched everything david attenborough ever made (laughs) during the (laughs) pandemic because i just wanted to know that the world was okay the animals were gonna make it if no one else um but it was just i think it was very difficult for us to to really understand what was happening all around us but i don't think personally and i don't know um going forward for even like the literary industry or even the television industry, how we display that type or that level of devastation on screen or in books again, that doesn't have a sense of realism. You know, it used to be fantastical before and we couldn't imagine what it was like to live in something that was so scary that we couldn't leave. And then there was this and so easily like we couldn't believe that and that's what was cool about it because it was unbelievable and it couldn't happen to us and i'm interested to see and i don't think a lot of people have been successful with it um as of yet in my personal opinion but i'm interested to see how the industry in both literary and television and even movies give us something that is that devastating or a world that is that devastating to where we are either believing it or still fear it because we've already lived through it. And for the first, yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. And for the first time, this was something that wasn't uh, fantasy. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that could happen. Mm -hmm. This was something that was happening. And it was when they were showing um, um, trailers with refrigerators that, had were full of bodies mm-hmm. um, because they the the morgues couldn't take i mean that's that's not even something that you would think is no. a thing Mm-mm. but it it was actually happening to us and, and i was talking to a 15 year old writer who's into zombies mm-hmm. what in the hell got us into zombies and what is that all about zombies i love talking about zombies <laughs> and i will tell you why because 
there is something about a human's obsession with control that I think when we turn the mirror or we turn the lens towards what, like what we say a zombie is, which is like this either reanimated human that has passed away or a person that is still living in some sort of animated state, whether they're still asleep or what have you. And that goes into certain particular um, cultures, religions that have that type of either myth or lore going on with them. But I think there's something very interesting about the fact that we can still move around and do the things that we need to do and have this really voracious, ferocious way about us that can't be controlled. So, and so I, I think it's, I think it's great. <laughs> okay. So, so I asked him, so I'll ask you, uh, how does one become a zombie? And Ooh. he said, well, I'm not sure. And I, I've written it like this and like, but, is it is it that you get bit by somebody? Is it you how do you what? become a zombie? You can, I, and I'm gonna say this, and you know what? My apologies to the folks at home, but <laughs> you can become a zombie any way you feel like becoming a zombie. Because I feel like there's, it used to be um, where, and it depends on culturally what you're talking about. If we're talking about something like um, hoodoo or voodoo practices, where their lore was like they were oh, reanimating. Yeah people with particular substances or uh, through uh, rituals or prayer. And that was bringing this, this person back or this person was given a substance to where they were very near death and thought that they were dead and then snapped out of it and went on with their lives and everyone thought they were dead and buried alive and things like that. But and then, you know, we got into, you know, the biting was, was something. And I think that that was really around the time of, you know, you have very like, um, like late Renaissance and, you know, 15, 16th, 17th century books about that, where it was like, almost like the universal monsters, like that's how you became something. You got bitten, you became a werewolf. You got bitten, you became a vampire. You got, you know, all of these things was by you you getting bitten. Now you get bitten, you're a zombie. So it was like, is it bloodborne? Who knows? But what what who knows? And I feel like it getting bitten is such a catch-all um for all of it. Cause you think you get bitten by a vampire, you get bitten by a werewolf, you get bitten by a zombie. Like, just don't get bitten. <laughs> like it, it should be that easy, right? I mean, who who in your life Kevin is coming around you just with their mouth wide open, ready to bite you. Not usually anybody. I have to pay for that. For you so far, right? You've been able to not be bitten by someone. Yeah. I'd have to pay for that. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's not, it's not something that's readily available. Um, Although, although, you know, I've got a premise for you. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Hit me. Okay. There's a new, uh, disease that comes out and it mimics death but you're not really dead but mm-hmm. everybody assumes you're dead and so they bury you yep. and then you're and so all these people or they cremate you and all these people are either being 
uh, buried alive or they're being cremated and you see them and you know you can take it from there you're the horror writer that's so scary oh my god can you imagine being cremated alive (laughs) god i don't even like when i'm in my car with my windows up on a hot day (laughs) (laughs) i cannot imagine that but being buried alive i was telling my mother about this the other day because i have a i have a um obsession with idioms and i i love um like etymology and figuring out where like phrases came from and there was a fear that was kind of sweeping through i think it was like 16th century 17th century um about people being buried alive and it was during that whole lore of like people were vampires and you didn't know if people were like um fey if they had like if you had a fever and now you were acting out people thought like a demon came into your home and stole your soul and left the demon soul inside of you and then everyone would try to kill you like just hysteria on like a maximum level and people were you know coming down with like really serious diseases and being like very near death and getting buried and then people would say, you know, I heard them screaming and then they would look inside the coffin and the person had like tried to scratch their way out. Exactly. I've heard that too. Yes. So what they started doing was when they would bury these people, they would attach a a string around their big toe and that string led to a pipe up, I'm said upstairs, above ground (laughs) um, to a bell. So if there was any movement in the body, a bell would ring and everyone would have to furiously start digging to make sure this person was alive and rescue them, which is where the phrase say by the bell came from. Oh, I did not. I had no idea. Isn't that interesting? See, now I thought that was a boxing term. I thought me too, but that's where it, it originated was saved by the bell was that. Wow, it's it's kind of like the the old saying. I'm sure you're familiar with this one. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, because the ba- the because the baby was the last one. They all took a bath yes, from the same the water. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> oh, gross! And it, and because dad was you know he got to go first because he yeah. was the head of the household, and then all the kids and and stuff, and then the baby was the last one. And if you if if you um, emptied the the uh, tub and you couldn't find the baby, it might have been at the bottom of the tub, yeah. and you couldn't see it. See, <laughs> see, oh no, my I'm- God. <laughs> No, I'm scaring you. I thought you were just like because when the when the babies had their bath, like then you can throw out the bath water because the baby's the last one to to be washed, which is like absolutely disgusting. Like no wonder we had so much infanticide. They're like being bathed in everybody else's filth. Like that's that's perfect. But they're at the bottom of the tub. Absolutely not. Oh, I, but you know when you when you think about it, and I don't know how much of a uh, student of history you are, but if you think about what we as human beings have done to each other mm-hmm. over the course of how, how we of how we have uh, tortured each other and killed each other, it's it it is beyond it is beyond the horror movies of today. I think yeah. wasn't there one called Saw or something? That, oh, see, yeah. I watched the first one. I will tell you, 
torture horror like that. I wrote a story about it, obviously. Um, it's one of my stories, but it's not my huge bag to watch. So I have a little bit of a squeamy feeling when those types of movies come out. I won't choose them, um, but I'm not going to yuck somebody's yum if you that's what you like. Um, that I, I just can't, I can't watch them. Watch them. I can't watch people being horrible to other people for the sake of just being horrible to other people. Um, that that doesn't sit well with me at all. But if, if you like it, that's great. <laughs> I don't think there's anything to like about it, quite frankly, because yeah. it is. You know, we fortunately we stopped uh, doing stuff like you know crucifying people and yeah. and doing stuff like that. But uh, um, it's I mean, which was a particularly horrible way to die uh, yeah just a little bit <laughs> so but bit. now in in your writing do a lot of people die or is this more about suspense uh, and yeah a lot of people die <laughs> i mean this book there's book it my book only has eight stories in it so there's only eight deaths so i mean if you think about it and some Oh, that's sometimes there's bad. multiple deaths. Sometimes there's more than eight. There actually is more than eight. Now that I count on my little hands, there's more than eight. So enjoy those at your leisure. But and it is it, not something that is absolutely horrific for horrific's sake. Because um, we are dealing with human beings that are trying to justify their behavior, right? So um, I think that there's still very much enjoyable deaths. I guess. <laughs> but, we enjoy them. By the way, we're talking with Mo Machadi, and if you want to go to her website. Uh, by the way, the name of the book is? Love the Sinner, Eight Disquieting Stories Bound in Sin. Ooh, Love the Sinner. Yeah. Uh, now, did any of them go to? I, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and we were talking about uh, um, priests and mm -hmm. in the olden days and, and, and other people that that were in put in power over children yes and they and especially in the uh conservative christian movement mm -hmm. uh, you could be have been a pedophile mm -hmm. and been quote unquote forgiven mm -hmm. and then you no longer would be subject to um being a pedophile sure but that's what they want you to believe mm -hmm. but deep down inside they were still had those urges and those yes. feelings mm -hmm. and 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 so we we as we as a people we don't we don't treat everything i think is as we should as far as if you if you do something like that mm -hmm. if you if you molest children mm -hmm. i don't think there's any saving you from that no i'm gonna put you in the pile of not being forgiven personally myself that's not gonna be a thing for me i mean i just i don't think that and i and i feel like on a global scale i feel like harm to children in any way shape or form is is and should be frowned upon um but also i feel like you know kind of having this like blanket absolution um is really really harmful um even outside of that particular crime because we have that a lot for people that are you know saved or changed or have found you know a new type of religion or, or maybe a you know a further 
uh, along in their belief system. Um, and we've been given, have, have been given carte blanche for their previous crimes or, or predilections. And that's really, really terrifying. And I think that that is really the kind of baseline for my, my book is the fact that we are able as, as human beings, we can look at someone um, and I, you know, as, as someone who from many years ago was very interested in forensic files and true crime and like trying to understand the motivations of, of people that commit heinous crimes. And these same people would be with their friends conversing about, oh my gosh, I can't believe this like mass murderer is on the loose and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, <laughs> in their own backyard is someone <laughs> that met their end with them. And, and I said, you know, you can really, we can justify as human beings, whatever act we're going through and we want to exude as long as we can justify it, then we don't have to make any apologies for it. Or we should be able to say, well, that's just how I am. Ted and, Bundy did that. Yeah, that's just how I am. You can't help me. And I it, feel like that is such a cloak that we all kind of hide behind. Not on a murdering aspect. <laughs> We're not all doing that. But I feel like that is a trait we all have where being forced with what our behavior is or what our urges are um, that makes somebody else just, you know, brings out discomfort in someone else or we're we're being asked to to change or even just look at our behavior and how many times in an argument with a loved one or a friend or a romantic partner have we thrown up our hands and said well that's just how i am you know we're all guilty of doing that and we're like we're asking someone to accept our faults even though we know that they're faults but we don't get to say that out loud <laughs> so we have to say that's just how I am. So that's also so scary is just being like, I'm not going to make any corrections. I just need you to absolve the things I've done or intend to continue to do. Um, and that's really it. I have to ask you this because you are also a behavioral therapist. Yes. And in that work, I've, I've, I've read stories of, um, of Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. He was from up here, by the way. Mm. <laughs> um, and he started at Lake Sammamish. I remember hearing on the radio that uh, that there was uh, a girl missing at Lake Sammamish, and they and there was a guy in a Volkswagen that turned out to be him, and he was she was one of the first that he took and 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 killed. But in the course of his life, the numbers of people that he killed and the heinous way he did it. And then what he would do to the bodies mm -hmm. after they were gone and even go back later mm -hmm. to visit the dead bodies. What makes a human being capable of being able to do something like that? I think the capability really comes from, and not everything, but predominantly things stem from either a childhood event or that child's environment of what is deemed okay or what they're shown as kind of moving the needle. Like kids will always kind of test your patience or what they can get away with. And in those type of environments, when you have someone, a, a child who is very calculated, um, 
and definitely in that mental capacity of being manipulative and um, borderline anhedonic, which is really lacking emotion or emotional flatline. Um, they don't tie them their emotion to that act that they're doing. It's just something that either quells a particular sensation, like the revisiting is almost like a trophy aspect. Like I, there's other things that I would like to do to this. And it's, it's very, very, very terrifying to, to think about it in that way that we as humans can have that capacity to exterminate each other, but also continue to celebrate that fact. And that is also going to be a form of, of control. Um, and, and most of the, the serial murderers that have been famous for revisiting, you know, move or moving the bodies once they've buried them or, you know, creating a game has really been a sense of a borderline of being in complete control of the situation and the almost palpable desire to be caught because what's it's only sensational and it only feels more motivating if somebody knows what I've done and now they're looking for me and now I get to be creative and now I get to escalate and now I get to do this. Um, and I think that that is that built in human need to strive to be the best at what you're doing. And that's so scary. It's, it's scary. a competition. Yeah when, yeah. when you put it in that context, like, you know, I'm a runner and I'm training and I won this contest. And now next year I'm going to be a little bit faster and a little bit faster because someone else um, is kind of on my tail. It's kind of like that where, you know, it's the sensationalism and the notoriety and um, handiwork and where, um, they started giving, you know, criminals calling cards because they were doing the same thing with every, you know, thing that they yep. had. So it was like, you know, Jack it was like, the Ripper, yeah, uh, the Boston Ripper, Strangler, BTK, Boston Strangler, son of Sam. Like everyone had a different way of doing things. Um, and if anyone out there has watched Mindhunter, which was on Netflix, and it was how they were putting together how to profile serial killers um, with the FBI. Um, it's still on Netflix, I think. I don't think it's going to get a third season, so be prepared for season two to have a very heartbreaking cliffhanger and like somebody just unplugged the TV while you were watching it. Like, well, I, I was watching that. Um, <laughs> it's going to feel like that. Um, but it's oh, a yeah. very it's a very interesting look. And it's, a, it's based on a true story of, of one of the gentlemen that helped create... Um, that type of forensic um, profiling for serial, serial killers um, with the FBI. So take a peek into that because that is not comfortable at all. You know, I, I, and I what and now this I clearly don't understand mm -hmm. is that if you do that to people mm -hmm. and, and there was, there was a guy up here, I forget his name. It was, and they, they, um, they uh, executed him by hanging. Mm -hmm. um and he um, um he'd killed several people 
And he was so upset that they were going to hang him that he lost control. They had to put him on a backboard. And they and they actually t- t- strapped him to a backboard and mm-hmm. put the backboard up and then hung him from that. Um, and and Bundy cried before mm-hmm. he before they executed him. But he killed all these people. Mm-hmm. And, and how could how could he think that 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 he was going to get sympathy or or what to, or yeah? Why was it's- he terrified of of death when he'd done it to so many other yeah. people? I wonder. And that's like the emotional reactivity piece is having a numbness of action where you're not having, like I said, the emotion is not attached to the action, but that does not mean the emotion is not attached to the penance that needs to be paid. Because when you're doing this action, it's not in their mind that they're going to eventually get caught or have to pay for this. That's not top of mind. It's just getting this done. In having this sense of control and having it, in the crudest of terms, scratch whatever itch that they have that doing these acts does. Um, it's not, it's a completely different side of the coin when they are on the other end of the stick <laughs> to say, or the news or what's going on, you know? Exactly. The, the I mean. um, injection. But I think that that is, that's, and that's what's scary about it is that the callousness of which these acts are done and then you know watching them break down is is mind-boggling it doesn't it doesn't compute it doesn't make sense to us no it it doesn't make any sense to me but by the way mo it's been such a pleasure having you oh yeah this has been fun i always love talking to you kevin (laughs) i need to come back and have you on again yeah we we should will you come back i will okay well awesome because we got so much more that we can talk about and, I know. and every show that i what i love what i love about what i do is every show is completely different yeah even yeah. if i'm talking to the same person yeah well we got a lot to get out we got a lot to go through <laughs> exactly is there anything that you'd like out. to tell our audience before we go well, um, the book is called, just came out on July 5th uh, with Bridget's Gate Press. It is a short story collection called Love the Sinner. Eight disquieting stories bound in sin can be found any of your online outlets that you get your books from. Waterstone, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, it will hopefully be on uh, store shelves at the end of this year. And I also have two books coming out next year under Spooky House Press, which is a two-volume collection of short stories based on the tarot. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to come back for that one. Yay. That's fun. Because the tarot. Really fun yeah, no, absolutely. Fun. Absolutely. And uh, uh, I would love to, love to have you back and we'll, and we'll play. I listen, I've got another interview that I'm going to do. And the author, his name is Frank Giamaca Monto Monaco. Mm-hmm. And the name of the book is Lord. Lord of the Wood. It's about Sasquatch. Ooh. Right up your alley. I love a Sasquatch story. <laughs> and you guys in the PNW, I'm sure, have a lot of Sasquatch yeah. stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I know people that have said that they were, um, that Sasquatch was there with them. Yeah. Yeek! <laughs> Excuse me. I'm Sasquatch. I, he, he said he, uh, was in a tent 
and he felt the he felt the uh, the Sasquatch uh, lean into the tent. And oh my god, absolutely not! The, uh, <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, I need a diaper. No, so, this is why I again, don't we're care. talking. We've been talking. <laughs> I know you can come up with all kinds of bad things that can happen to you. So don't go into the woods, ladies and gentlemen. Nope. <laughs> Mama Shadi, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you. And, this was uh, great. Um, we will have you back. Yeah, I'm glad I you enjoyed it. it. Wait right there and I'll be hey, right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's all we got.